Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. So I no longer greet you with Christ is risen because we are now beyond the actual Paschal season per se. We are now this day at the glorious, the glorious moment where it all comes together of Pentecost Sunday, the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. In many of the Eastern churches, we wear the color green and we bring greens into the church because we talk about the spirit as being the spirit of life. Now, in the Latin rite, the Western lung of the church, there's an emphasis on the red, the red color of the fiery tongues, how the spirit descended in the form of fiery tongues and how the apostles could then speak in different tongues. They could speak in everyone's language, the truth. And everyone was amazed at that. They thought that maybe they were drunk or something. So once again, we see the complementarity of the churches the different emphasis between East and West of the one same reality. And that reality is this third person of the Trinity coming into the world, animating the church at that point and forever, and animating you and me when we receive that spirit at baptism and in the sacrament of chrismation or confirmation. The Eastern Church, by nature, is a very charismatic church, might be one of the reasons why the charismatic movement, per se, did not really take hold in the Eastern churches. However, an interesting point of history, though, the charismatic movement itself actually began in an Eastern church. It began in the Armenian church, but it seemed to move as a movement more so in the Western lung of the church, also in Protestantism as well. So the Western world seemed to need that infusion of the Holy Spirit in that way. But remember, whenever a movement happens, a movement, it's something like that, you know, the booster section on a, on a rocket, on a spaceship. It does its job, it boosts off the rocket, and then it kind of fades away or it's done with its job. So that's how movements are. Movements are not meant to be forever. They're meant to move something so that when it is moved, it's off and running in the direction to which it was supposed to be moved. Hopefully that's not too confusing. 
But the charismatic movement was that infusion of the Holy Spirit that was necessary at the time in the church to help set people in the right direction, the church in the right direction. Now, we no longer need a movement, and movements should not be enshrined or held onto. The point of the movement is to get things moving, and we are to live for the moving part and keep moving. See, the infusions happen in the church, whether it's the Holy Spirit acting directly or through individuals that God raises up, like the patriarchs or the fathers of the church, the great saints, great popes. Whether it's that way or just through the sacramental life of the church, the Spirit is always acting and moving, and so should we. It's when we get bogged down that the Holy Spirit infuses itself in these various ways. The church itself is fundamentally charismatic, meaning spirit-driven, spirit-filled. In fact, in the Eastern churches, in the liturgy, especially during the Eucharistic prayer, which we call the anaphora, we speak of the Holy Spirit changing the gifts of bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. It is true in the Western church as well, but it's particularly specific and strong in the Eastern church. We call this part the epiclesis. In the Eastern Church, the calling down the Holy Spirit, in contrast to the Western liturgy, actually happens after the words of institution. In other words, after those words of Christ, take, eat, this is my body. In the Western lung of the Church, the Holy Spirit is called down upon the gifts before the words of institution. But the Holy Spirit is a very, very strongly emphasized person of the Trinity in the Eastern Church. As I say, we're naturally charismatic in that sense, in in the more strict sense, not in the sense of a movement. And on this day, on Pentecost Sunday, in addition to decorating our churches with greens, we actually cut green branches of trees and we bring them in. We wear green. The priests wear green vestments. We have green altar covers. In addition to the many magnificent, deep and rich prayers, the priest says three particular kneeling prayers. In fact, that's the first time that we kneel since Easter. We don't kneel much in the Eastern churches, but we do kneel when we are praying to the Holy Spirit. And the priest says these three prayers. They're very long prayers, very lengthy prayers, as you might expect in the Eastern churches. <laughs> but they're very beautiful, magnificent. And why not? This is the culminating event of everything. The last thing to be done by Jesus Christ was to send the Holy Spirit so that God's presence would be with the church, with his apostles, with you and me at all times and forever in a very real way. Now, that happens to us in a number of ways. It happens to us especially through the sacraments of the church. But the priest prays these kneeling prayers, and we all kneel on this Pentecost Sunday, and he prays these prayers, which reflect on the actual Holy Spirit, all the things that God has done. It just is, they're just so encompassing. They're just magnificent prayers. And then we have a special hymn that we sing, Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, Whoever at present and filling all things, treasure blessings and giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O gracious one. This is a prayer we often say before we actually do a service or other kinds of prayer, sort of the prayer before the prayer. Because it's the calling down the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus tells us in the Bible that we don't know how to pray as we ought to. The Holy Spirit prays within us. Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. Holy Spirit animates everything that we do. And that's why it's so important to be open to the Holy Spirit, to pray to the Holy Spirit, not only now on Pentecost. And by the way, tomorrow's an important day too. We call it Pentecost Monday. 
Lots of beautiful prayers there, too. We even do a procession around the church at the services in which we read the four Gospels, symbolic of the Word of God through the Holy Spirit going to every corner of the world, the four corners of the earth. Lots of richness in this magnificent feast. It's one of my favorites, the Pentecost, the calling down, the the incarnation, as it were, of the Holy Spirit. We have the incarnation of the second person of Trinity. So we have a, and I'll say this in quotes, it's not exactly an incarnation the same way as Christ, but it's the Holy Spirit incarnating itself. In other words, infusing itself into our reality, into ourselves, into the sacraments, into the things that we use in the sacraments, such as water, oil. Yes, the Holy Spirit actually comes down into those items, and the priest calls on that Spirit and even touches those items and breathes on them the breath of the Spirit to the priest. So the Spirit is actually infused into those items, and we use them in the sacraments and for blessing. So this is a very, very significant, very dynamic moment in the church. And remember, anything that happened in the Bible is not a history lesson. It's our reality. This Pentecost we're experiencing today in the church East and West is the first and only Pentecost. We are just like those apostles in that upper room, and we are that way through the liturgy of the church. See, this is why church is so important. I just can't imagine why anybody would stay away from church, especially if you were born and raised in it. Yes, I know we've got all kinds of gripes and doubts and so on, but over and above what we see in the imperfections of the human part of the church— is the action of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, which we only get in this way through the church, through its liturgy, through its sacraments, through hearing the gospel and homilies. Everything is a vehicle for the Holy Spirit that animates our lives. In addition to celebrating the infusion of the Holy Spirit, it's also a celebration of the church as community. Remember, the apostles all came together in that moment, and the church itself, the community, was infused with the Holy Spirit, not only individuals, but the church itself. And speaking of the church itself, all of us coming together as community, I'd like to acknowledge and thank some members of our community on this day of community, of spirit-filled community. I want to thank our good friend Gene Bray from Tahuya, Washington. I thank you very much, Gene, for your kind, kind letter. And also the kindness from William Coffrin. William Coffrin of Akron, Ohio, which is right near my hometown of Cleveland. Thank you, William, for your beautiful, beautiful letter. And also for your beautiful letter, Neil McKinnon. Neil McKinnon is from Livonia, Michigan. I want to thank Gene Bray and Neil McKinnon and William Coffrin, not only for their beautiful letters, but above all, as I thank all of you, for listening to us here at Light of the East. We really, really enjoy hearing from you. So keep those cards and letters coming, as they say. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East, Mysticism, It Keeps Men Sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real. The mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about Him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. The elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic Churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane, mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Long of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Excited to be with you here on this exciting Pentecost Sunday. Exciting moment for the church then, 2,000 years ago, and now and forever. The infusion of the Holy Spirit, the last piece of revelation, the last action until the end of time that God had to do in a major way. That was to send the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit animates us animates the church, and we're supposed to be riding on its wings. From time to time, the Spirit will make an infusion into the church when it needs it. It'll shot in the arm. But we're supposed to actually be riding on the wings and the winds of the Holy Spirit that we have received in the church at that Pentecost, that first Pentecost, but also through the sacraments of the church, especially baptism and confirmation or chrismation. And then sacraments like Eucharist or marriage— holy orders, and even the anointing of the sick, what they do is they, in a sense, ratify that presence of the Holy Spirit. They ratify our baptism and confirmation. That, that's how the, the sacraments work. They, they kind of ratify what we've already received at the sacraments in which the Holy Spirit comes into us, such as baptism and chrismation. So you can see why I'm very excited about Pentecost Sunday and the whole action of the Holy Spirit and presence in the church and in our lives. Speaking of the Holy Spirit acting in the church, it's always acting in the church no matter what, no matter how bad things seem to be. The Holy Spirit is still the operant factor in the church and it animates and enlivens people in the church, inspires them to do good things. And there's a couple of great things being done by some young people, four young people, 
two events for young adults, especially singles. One is a National Catholic Singles Retreat, Friday to Sunday, July 26th to the 28th. That's at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Mundelein, Illinois. I'll be one of the speakers there. You can find out about this by going to nationalcatholicsingles.com, nationalcatholicsingles.com. Again, that's Friday to Sunday, July 26th to the 28th. And also, especially for Byzantines, but not exclusively for them, we have the first ever Byzantine Young Adults Convocation in New York City at St. Mary's in New York City. You can go there by checking the website, theosisinaction.org, theosisinaction.org. Then click on the Convocation 2019 button. So that's theosisinaction.org. Click on Convocation 2019. And again, that convocation is going to take place from Thursday to Sunday, Thursday to Sunday, August 1st to the 4th, Byzantine Young Adults, but open to anyone, but particularly Byzantine Young Adults. So two opportunities where the Holy Spirit is animating the church and animating people to step up, especially young adult people who realize that their young adult peers are very much in need of ministry and involvement in the church. Now, speaking of the Byzantine church, Sometimes there are questions, common questions, and I'm asked, so from time to time I like to deal with them, especially on this Pentecost Sunday. I mentioned that we have these kneeling prayers, which are very, very lengthy, as are all our prayers. And in fact, the question comes up, are the services in the Eastern Catholic churches really long or longer than in Latin Rite churches? And do they use other languages? Are the services in English? I have to chuckle a little bit at that question because many people have never even heard of the Eastern Catholic churches. Many Roman Catholics have not, or even people outside the Catholic church. But one thing they seem to know is that, or seem to think they know, is that we have long services, that our liturgy is longer than an hour. Well, my answer to that is, actually, our services are timeless, as is God, as should be our sense of being in church and being with God. Are our services longer? Well, by and large, they probably are longer than most services in the Latin Rite Church. However, there's reasons for this. First of all, as I mentioned, we don't have a sense of time in liturgy when we come to worship. It's kind of like, or at least it should be like, to lovers, you know? Do lovers really have a sense of time when they really love each other and they love being in each other's presence? Or do you have a sense of time when you really, really love something? You're having a magnificent, wonderful experience. Do you really you really have that sense of time. You, you say to yourself, oh, it goes so fast. It just seemed like we got started. Certainly, I like to say that about the season, the warm weather season, once you've gotten past some of this rain that we had all during the spring. But I love the warm season, as most of us do, especially in the Midwest. You look forward to it, but it goes so fast. Why? Because it's beautiful and you enjoy it. Enjoyable things seem to have a certain timelessness about them. Lovers should have a sort of carefree timelessness about themselves, about their relationship, about their time together. Well, so should it be with our time with God. And our time with God is so intimate in the liturgy. It's the most intimate we can be with God on this side of eternity. We actually get to unite our very beings with His very being, physically and spiritually, in the Eucharist. It's a big love-in. It's a big spousal mystery as St. John Paul II likes to remind us, the spousal mystery is the fundamental element of human existence, of the whole order of creation, and it is played out and come to its fullness in the liturgy of the church where Christ the bridegroom comes to wed his bride on the nuptial bed of the altar in the consummation of the Eucharist. 
How's that for a spells of mystery? But that's what's going on. We should love that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have a sense of time about it if we really understand what is going on. Uh, the other reason why the Eastern churches have longer services, and although not always, but most of the time, when I say longer, I don't mean dramatically longer, but longer, is because our prayers tend to be longer. And liturgy is, um, well, very li- we are a very liturgical church. Eastern churches are very, very liturgical. So we, in a sense, can't get enough of liturgy, of prayer, of, of that public worship, the services, the divine office, and so on. And our prayers are very lengthy most of the time, especially the prayers said by the priest. And the reason for that is, is because what we're doing, we're doing two things. We're patterning our prayer after the pattern of the great odes and prayers in the Bible. And they had a certain formula to them, and they were generally pretty lengthy and pretty flowery. That formula begins with an expose, a great dogmatic theological expose or description of who God is. That's how we start out. How wonderful God is, how incredible, how magnificent. And because he's so magnificent, so beyond us, what we do is we grope for yet another word to try and suffice for our description of God. So we say what he is. We talk about him. We oh, there's even more to it than that. Well, there's even more to it than that. He's even greater than that. It's like we're almost like running in place. We're trying so hard and groping to find that next description because no one description is adequate. And that's just the beginning of the prayer. Then we have the other forms of the prayer. And again, this based on the formula from the Bible, which then give thanks to God, that recite all the good things he's done for us in human history, in salvation history. Then we ask for forgiveness. And that goes on for a while as we describe ourselves in relation to this God, this God who is so great, so incredible, so beyond us, and we are so little, so nothing in his presence. Then we come in with our request. Notice that, that's down the line, not right away the gimme. You know, a lot of times that's how we pray today, which is it's not adequate. It's not worthy of God. I mean, God appreciates any kind of prayer. I mean, he does appreciate it, but I think he'd really appreciate it if we addressed him the way that they did in the Bible, because those people had a deep sense of who God is. So we don't do the ask, the gimme part, until down the line, and then we end up the way we began by praising God, and especially we end up with a doxology. For you are holy, our God, we render glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. So the services are longer, but they also developed over time. The liturgy is something that involved. It was never just crystallized at any one point. It still has a certain element of evolution to it, but not in a dramatic way. It's basically the same, but it can evolve in, in some more minor ways. And the other question, the other part of the question was, do we use English or do we use other languages at our liturgies? Most of the Eastern churches have their own indigenous language, just as the Latin rite had Latin. Although before that, even in the Latin rite church, they worshiped in Greek. The whole church, East and West, originally worshiped in Greek. Then the West adopted Latin and stuck with that as their official language. In the East, the Eastern churches adopted the language of the people, the vernacular. They had a basis in Greek, and sometimes to some extent in Latin, but 
they also used the language of the people, the vernacular. And that was happening at least since the ninth century with St. Cyril Methodius in the Slavic Eastern churches, such as mine. We used church Slavonic, which was the, well, the Slavonic was the spoken tongue of the Slavic people, sort of the mother tongue of Slavic languages. St. Cyril then translated the sacred books into that Slavonic language for the Slavonic people. And today that's known as Church Slavonic or Old Slavonic. But it was the spoken language of the people at the time. So the question really is not, is the services in the Eastern churches in English? I mean, it's a valid question. But technically the question is, are the services in an Eastern church in the vernacular? In other words, the language of that culture. The answer would be yes. So for us in America, the Byzantine churches have their indigenous Greek and Slavonic, but they mostly have their services in English because that is the vernacular, that is the language of the people. We'll continue to answer some of these basic questions that come up quite a bit. In the meantime, open yourselves to the Holy Spirit. Just pray to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit animates you guide you, teaches you how to pray. Get down on your knees today, as we do in the Byzantine church, saying those magnificent kneeling prayers, and ask the church to put the Holy Spirit's words on your lips, the Holy Spirit's thoughts on your mind, the Holy Spirit's convictions and truth on your hearts, and live according to life in the Spirit. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Monsignor Charles Pope. And I always say to my my people, my parishioners, for you I'm your pastor, with you I'm your brother, but from you I'm your son, because they have formed me so beautifully over the years and taught me to trust God and to praise God, and they brought the Holy Spirit alive in me in just ways I could never have imagined, you know, coming out of seminary. I had all the intellectual stuff in the seminary, but my priestly heart has been formed by my people. Morning Glory, Monday through Saturday, 7 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.